0: what's up guys it's the mma ratings hangout back for episode 9 on september 1st 2016. this is Rafael garcia back once again to talk to you about the sport of mixed martial arts and i am once again joined by Shawn hughes how you doing there slack
1: oh i'm good man glad glad to hear from you again glad to have the show going yep it's been a long couple weeks
0: man we've been getting um Doing a lot of different work, so we are finally back together for another episode, and we have quite a bit to um talk about, man. Where do you want to start? You want to cover these fights this weekend first?
1: Let's start from there, man.
0: All right, start that, there, that, man. so this weekend, this weekend we have a, another UFC event. You know, we have. I think um, in the, from this point going forward to the end of the year, there are. Only three weekends that do not consist of some form of UFC event. So that lets you know just how busy things are going to be. Um, With that in mind, let's go ahead and talk about this card this weekend. We have UFC Fight Night 93, which goes down in Hamburg, Germany. Um, So a card for the European MMA fan. And at the top, it features um, a, prominent, a prominent fighter from that side of the world, in Andre Arlovski facing another former UFC heavyweight champion in Josh Barnett. So let's go ahead and start with the main event and tell me, what do you think about these two heavyweights fighting for, um, I mean, fighting for what is actually a valuable um, heavyweight bout? What do you think about these two
1: guys doing a thing once again? Well, once again, the first thing I think is it, it's a reminder of how how long, how long, thin the heavyweight division is and how long you can remain a top five, top ten heavyweight over the years because of that thinness. Because Arlovski and Barnett have been around. I mean, both of them are like almost OGs in the game of MMA. And here, you know, some 10, 15, if not 20 years later, they're still competing, still fighting, and still within a two- or one or two, maybe three fights of a world title shot again. So that's the first thing that crosses my mind. Um, only in the heavyweight division can this can, can this happen. No other division allows you to be around this long and stay this close to the top. Um, for Arlovski, I gotta think it's coming down to his uh his final run. He, he was able to kind of mask his chin and some of his recuperation holes, but um in his run but recently it's just he's just been getting sparked repeatedly getting dropped getting stunned getting knocked out and he's been doing it against guys who can hit and guys with some power and big guys of course but the nature of how he's had his lights put out in the past few, few fights really concerns me barnett on the other hand is actually um he actually looked good in his last fight actually he hasn't really looked bad since he's been in the ufc to be quite honest and he's always been a durable guy He's actually got the better all round skill set, better grappler. I'd almost say he's a better striker, like a more sustained and more layered striker than Arvaloski. And he's he's really the guy who's actually, in the past couple years, has actually held up the most, much more than Andre. Andre's been hit or miss. He either wins or he gets brutally finished. And, and Barnett's been able to maintain his competitiveness regardless of what organization he's been in and regardless of what level of opposition he's been in. So I'm I'm probably gonna go with Barnett and winning this. And um to be honest, I think it'd be better if he wins it because I think he's got more of a chance if he has to face potentially Stipey or Overeem. I think he's got the best shot. Our just can't take punishment like he really can't take punishment at all. And and against the caliber fighters they have at heavyweight right now, I don't know that that's his offensive skills are good enough for him to navigate that kind of weakness. So
0: let me ask you this: um, With the way the heavyweight division is kind of shaping up, and the way it, it's been, and I have to say, old man's division for the past few years, does this fight do either one of these guys interest you as a as a potential um, heavyweight challenger?
1: Uh, Barnett does. He, he's got enough skills. He's good on the mic. He hasn't. He has a kind of character, and. Um, He's, the biggest thing is he's got the durability. Arlovski just can't take punishment anymore. Like I said, he when he got dropped, he even in his his some of his wins, he's gotten stunned badly or if not dropped badly in fights. I just don't think he has the durability to be an effective contender, and he's no longer as fast and dynamic as he used to be. He used to be one of the most explosive heavyweights in division, but he's not that guy anymore. So when you take away his explosiveness, that also impacts his offense, and it also makes – bigger holes in his defense, and he doesn't have the durability to stand up to it. Barnett, just based off the fact that he's got the better skill set, he can fight you in every range, and he's got the durability that if the fight's not going his way, he can work his way back into it. Once it goes downhill for Arvlosky, it just goes downhill. So, I mean, I'd really rather not see him in a title fight. You know, even if he wins tomorrow, I'd have to see at least another two or three fights before I'd even consider consider him a viable contender. Punch and anybody who can take a punch. He he's he's at a ch- there's a chance for him to lose. I mean, Roy Nelson might knock him out at this stage.
0: So let's talk about this and what needs to happen in the heavyweight division to kind of get that get that allure back that it had for so many years. You know, are we? Like, who's the next young contender that is going to come up in this division to kind of make some noise? Because right now, all of these guys are 32 and over. Um, pushing a lot of miles, pushing a lot of years in their career. So do you see any younger guys coming along and kind of taking this division by hold? You know, for a while people thought that that was going to be tied Duffy, but look how that, look how that kind of ended. You know, Jared Roshaw couldn't do the thing either, even though, you know, he was cut with six and two UFC career. So who's kind of left? Like, what are they going to do?
1: A lot of people like, uh, a lo- I actually want to say Derek Lewis. He's the most proven guy out of the young heavyweights. I mean, he, his record isn't the greatest, and he hasn't beaten a lot of, of the upper echelon heavyweights. But what other young heavyweight fighter has fought in the level of competition he's fought and won? I mean, his his fight over – his win over Roy Nelson is better than almost any any young heavyweight in or outside of the UFC because most heavyweights aren't fe- facing that level of competition. What other heavyweight in the past – I don't know, year this year or in the past two years has had a better – a young heavyweight has had a better win than beating Roy Nelson, who's been a who's been a consistent UFC fighter and who's got on at least two or three, four win, four or five win streaks on a repeated basis. I'd, I'd have to go with Lewis. I don't think he's a really good good enough defensive grappler or counter grappler, and his wrestling is a little suspect. But he's he's so big, he hits so hard, and he's so explosive. Unless you're just an athlete you might take him down but he'll explode right back up it takes a certain kind of athlete to hold him down and most of the guys even the guys who are the better athletes at heavyweight aren't either if they were that kind of athlete they're no longer that kind of athlete anymore due to age and attrition and the other guys just aren't they don't have that explosiveness they they just don't I mean outside of a maybe a Kane Velasquez and Stipey you know, those those guys might have the cardio and conditioning to consistently keep putting them down and hold them down and work them over, but a lot of the other guys all have clearly have holes that he could take advantage of based on power alone. Overeem doesn't take the best shot. DeSantis Santos doesn't take the best shot anymore. Arlovski doesn't really has never taken a really good punch before, and um, you know those are the guys who have the experience in the class that would that would would uh, separate him even further from the younger heavyweights. I mean, what they need to do is get more big, strong, athletic guys into MMA. The problem is there's a lot of other sports that need guys for who are 230 and 260 and up, and all those sports pay more money. The UFC doesn't pay enough to get the best heavyweight athletes into their sport. Even a guy who's a heavyweight boxer is going to make more money potentially if he shows any sort of competency and skill. He's going to move up faster than an MMA fighter. And even if, he gets, even if you're an MMA fighter in the UFC, you're not necessarily making bank either. So it's just a matter of becoming more enticing to guys who are bigger and stronger and have that athletic background. But as it stands right now, there's not enough money in it f- for guys to come in. So you're going to continue to see guys who were who were retreads in the heavyweight division for a long time. They'll either be guys who come in from other division, other organizations who've been in the UFC before. That's what Arlovski was. He got cut he fought his way back up and got back into the UFC. I mean, a lot of the guys, the only reason they had a lot of heavyweights recently was because they absorbed strike force. So, I mean, the UFC's never had a whole lot of really world-class heavyweights in their entire career. A lot of the fights have been doubles and trilogies and rematches because they don't have a deep enough division. It, it's almost always been that way. That's why they forced the, the Santos Velasquez rematches. That's why mm-hmm. they forced Tim Sylvia versus Andre Arlovski repeatedly because they don't have a enough division with enough young guys to build a division to, to flesh out the division or to kind of test guys enough to, get, to work them up slowly to get to the level they need to be at to compete against a seasoned veteran it's just the curse of being a heavyweight it's the same thing in boxing for the same reasons it's just easier to go play football go play basketball or even play baseball than it is to go and train to fight for less than a tenth of the pay
0: no, and I totally agree with you with that. You know, when you look at the rankings, um only I think you, like you said, Derek Luce is 31, so he's not even that young. And then there's three other guys who are under the age of 30. And Stefan Struve is one, Luce Line Michael Madoff is the other, and then there's Francis Na- Nagano. Um, those are the only three guys who are under the age of thirty years old, and they're ranked 12, 13, and fourteen, respectively. So it's pretty interesting to see, you know, like those are those are only guys that are young, coming up in the heavyweight division. So I wonder, you know, how they're going to continue being built up, especially Struve. You know, he's someone that a lot of people have have high hope have high hopes for, even though he's dealt with um, injuries throughout his career. So well, Stephen Struve is like
1: he's like, a 30, he's like a thirty-five year old. He's been the UFC forever, and he's been on the bad well, end of a lot of crushing knockouts. So even though he's young, he's not a young, young guy. He's got a lot of rope. He's got a lot of wear on those tires because he's fought a lot, and he's taken a. He's, he's been in some really punishing fights. He's taken, like, fights where he's been knocked out badly, and he's had serious injuries as a result. So Stephen Struve to me, doesn't even count as a young guy. You can't have that many fights and have that many tough fights and have me consider you being a young up-and-comer with another 10 or 15 years ahead of you. And the problem with the other young guys they have is you don't have any time to develop them because what you want to do with the fighter is you move them up a different level, have a guy like you have a good guy. First, you have them test against a wrestler, have them test it against a striker, have them test it against another athlete. You kind of have them have test against different areas, and you kind of round them out, get them the rounds, and get them the experience. But the division is so thin that after you win two or three fights, you essentially have to go fight somebody in the top ten, if not the top five in lightweight, in other divisions, you can fight three or four or five fights, get your feet wet, kind of get used to being the UFC, work on your game, redefine it. And then after another three or four fights, you might get a top 10 guy. Like James Vick fought six or seven times before he even got a top 10 guy. I mean, he got smoked when he fought one, but at least he had the time to acclimate himself and work on things and kind of prove that he was ready for that step up. And heavyweight is so then You might get one or two fights, maybe three, and then you get thrown in with a guy who who's got three times as fights three times as many fights as you and that lack of experience matters in combat sports experience matters people never talk about it but it does and you might have a young heavyweight get wrecked because he got thrown in with a Kane Velasquez or got thrown in even with Roy Nelson who can still be dangerous in a lot of spots so it, it just it's just not a very good division to have to lead an organization and it's not a very good division to build prospects in because it's so thin. then you just have a hard time finding quality sparring partners, much less quality opponents who can help your fighter develop so he's ready for the better guys.
0: Yeah, I can definitely get with that, man. You're um definitely hitting some good points there. Uh so let's continue on down the fight card there and let's talk about the co-main event with Alec, Alec- Alexander Gustafsson against John Blackowicz. I think John is his first name. Um So I when I saw this fight here, you know, I I understand it. I can see that um, Gustafson is is in need of a win. He's definitely, you know, he's been coming off off some hard some hard fights, two hard losses, um, in a in a quest to become a champion. But I want to ask a question here. Um, I looked over Gustafson's record, and even though he's sixteen and four. He's never defeated a guy who, um, oh, excuse me, his only win over a former UFC champion was against uh, Shogun in 2012, which isn't the same Shogun that, you know, we're all used to seeing back in Japan, but I looked at his resume, and I wasn't really, imp- not for lack of a better term, I wasn't really impressed. He didn't have a lot of the big name wins that we see from a lot of guys like a John Jones or a Dan Cormier or anything like that, so... For lack of a better term, I want you to talk about this. Is Alexander Gustafsson
1: overrated? Um, to a degree, he is because everybody keeps saying that he's such a great elite fighter, but he's only considered elite because he's beating a bunch of non-elite guys. Like he's never, like you said, he's never beaten a real a guy who's at the top of his game, a name guy at the top of his game. Beating Shogun in 2012 means as much as I don't know beating Matt Brown in 2016. It's just not that impressive. The name and the winning streak, if you just look at it from a big point of view, looks better than it is. In fact, I would compare Gustafsson a little bit to Neil Magny. Like, Neil Magny, everybody's like, he's elite. He should be getting the top 10 guy. He should be pushing into the top 10 because he won a bunch of fights. But all the guys he beat were non-elite, mid-tier, if not lower-level guys. Every time he faced a top And dude, he got run into the ground. He faced Lorenz Larkin, got smoked. He faced Damian Mayo, got he didn't even look like he belonged in the cage with him. He had one good win, and that was over Kevin Kelvin Gasolum, who wasn't really focused and had been trained, had been changing training camps. Gustafson has the physical skill set, he has a build, he has a look, and he has an he he has enough experience and physical ability where he can push guys into tough matchups. He's never been good enough to get over the hump against anybody who's considered elite. And so he's he's elite basically by default. I'm not saying he's a bad fighter, but when you think about guys who are overrated, you have to put him in there and, until he beats someone elite. And, beating, and facing this guy, a tough guy, a good guy, but once again, not an elite guy. You know, you become elite by beating elite people close to their prime, if not in their prime. And he has never done that. And even in the wins he's had, they haven't been you know, exactly devastating or dynamic and when against Shogun wasn't that spectacular, to be quite honest. John Jones fought a better Shogun and he smoked him. You know, OSP fought a similar Shogun and he knocked him out in one round, you know, if you know what I'm saying. So he's a tough guy. I mean, he deserves his ranking, but the division is super thin, and he's only got he's only got his reputation as being elite as a result of beating up all the other sub elite fighters. I can't really consider him a lead until he beats someone who is a lead, but I'm not going to hate other people for thinking he is. I mean, what else can he do outside of beating a top guy, which he's been inca- incapable of doing so far in his career?
0: Good, good. I'm not going to disagree with you at all there. Um,
1: I was, I, you know, I, I
0: had a pretty a hard time even kind of asking that question, because you never really want to ask if a guy is overrated or not, especially at you know in a sport as tough as mixed martial arts, but just looking at his record, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't taking a bet, you know, you want to see, like, for example, when you look at names like uh, guys like Frankie Edgar, who, who's beaten a lot of guys, or even like a, or even like a John Jones or a Daniel Cormier, you know, who has wins over notable names, it makes you take pause when you see somebody like the sox and rank number two in, in the division, and Getting a fight like Blacowitz, who isn't who's two and two in the UFC, and isn't someone who has kind of isn't someone who hasn't like kind of submitted themselves in the sport. You know, if this is Blacowitz, definitely has much more to gain if he can find a way to defeat Disaso um, in this fight. But I think that immediately vaults him into the um, into the division. But I wonder what's next for Alexander if he gets a win here. Like, is he getting a win and then kind of is he, a, a, once again, one more win away from getting a USC title shot? Like, I don't think he really even deserves to be in that picture if he finds a way to win on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I feel like he's in a holding pattern. I mean, the same, he's having the same problem as if John Jones was a champion. You know, I mean, he could I guess maybe he could catch with Daniel Cormier. But once again, Gustavson, he's not a big seller as far as a pay-per-view guy. He's not a big name anywhere except for Europe. And once again, he he's already he's already lost to he's already lost to DC. I mean, it was a close fight on it, you know. And he's already lost to Anthony Johnson, and he, that fight wasn't competitive for more than about two minutes. So it's it's like he's in a holding pattern. Like I guess maybe if if Johnson beats Cormier, maybe if he wins another fight, they could somehow put him into another title shot. But based on actual, you know, based on actual quality of wins and the style of winning, like how impressively you do it other two or three fights from a title shot. The thing is, same thing as the heavyweight division is a division. So thin, and you have so few guys with legitimate world-class experience who've proven themselves against elite opponents or at least proven they can be competitive against lead opponent. It's hard to not keep him in the top five, if not the top three or four, because who else is there? I mean, what young guy has beaten, has beaten at least all the other young guys of, of his caliber. What other guy has, been at least competitive with the two two best guys in the history of their division only Gustafsson. he hasn't beaten them but considering the other guys in the division he's done a lot more than they have because some of these guys have been haven't even really had wins and losses against mid-tier guys if you're not a top-end guy Alexander Gustafsson usually does not lose to you so he's essentially in a holding pattern and as far as a justifiable title I get a justifiable title shot he's He's probably in the top two or three. The only other thing they could do is have him face one of the younger, up-and-coming guys. But once again, it's the same problem as heavyweight. There's too much of a gap in experience and level of opposition. You you risk ruining a young guy trying to see if he's ready to step up. I mean, Gustafson, while I don't think he's elite, is a huge step up for a guy who's maybe two and one in the UFC or two and two or anything of that nature. He's just such a far step up for anybody who's beneath him. So it's like you know, he, I guess he's essentially in a holding pattern. I'd rather not see him in a title fight, at least not for another two or three, two or three fights. You know, let some time pass for us to forget the fact that Anthony Johnson walked through him and that Cormier walked him down and then ran him down. You know, let's let's get some time in between that and see who else develops in the division, if at all possible. I'd I'd rather him, I didn't think he earned his last title shot, to be quite honest. So I'm not a fan of him getting another title shot anytime soon. So how do you see this fight going on Saturday? Um, I don't really have so much of a technical analysis. It's basically one of those fights where if Gustafsson wins, it doesn't prove anything. It's him doing what he always does, beating up on guys who aren't his athletic or technical or don't have his experience level, beating up on a lesser opponent. If if he loses, even if the other guy wins, I don't know what it tells me about him. All it tells me is that Alexander Gustafsson is on a decline it's one of those fights it's like a huge risk minimum reward he wins the fight even if it's in dynamic manner he's being a guy who's two and two of the ufc if he loses that's almost more interesting because now we have to wonder did johnson wreck his chin able to recover from shots did the fights with johnson and jones and cormier essentially take too much out of him and he's no longer a guy who can even be considered loosely elite? Is he now a guy who's going to be just a a name or a 50-50 guy with anybody he fights at this point? He lost to the best. And if he loses this guy, it'd be the first time he's lost to somebody who's not considered an elite fighter in the division. So the only only thing that's interesting to me is if, in fact, he does lose, because then it's more interesting because more questions you have to ask and a broader discussion you have to talk about in regards to the division because now you have a guy who's stepping up into the top five top 10 based off a win over Gustafsson and now you have to wonder where does Gustafsson go now because he's losing the guys who prior to you know prior to this weekend he smokes these kind of guys he wins and he wins in a impressive and handy handily done he knocks him out or submits him or just blows them blows him out of the water he loses this kind of guy that's a whole new discussion now we have something to talk about but if he wins It's the same discussion as always. He's beating up the rest, and he can't beat the best.
0: Ah, That's a great uh, tagline there. He's beating up the rest and can't beat the best. I like that. Um, So let's move on to the next fight. there. We got Ryan Bader facing Lear Latifi. You know, I definitely thought that Bader had kind of turned the corner, in a sense, until he ran into Anthony Johnson. You know, he's one of those guys who – you're always kind of rooting for on one point in time because, you know, people thought that Vader had reached his peak when he won the Ultimate Fighter, and that was it. But he shows flashes of um of ability, then he kind of runs into – he's another guy. He runs into someone who is at the top of the division and he can't get the big win. So this is an important fight for both guys because um, for Leary, you know, he's been knocking guys out the last few fights, and if he gets another big win here and gets fighting Vader, he may find himself – in a um, eventual title eliminator. So, what are your thoughts about the the, the light heavyweight fight
1: between Ryan Bader and either the the Um You're you're right about Bader. He's another one of those guys who goes on these obscene winning streaks where he beats a lot of guys who might have some ability or might have some skill, but are guys who have never been able to firmly establish themselves as elite. And then when he faces the better guys, he always finds. Some way somehow to to lose in in spots he he just shouldn't lose, and he did against Tito Ortiz. I really thought he had a chance to beat Anthony Johnson because there's been a certain book written on Johnson, and he had and and yet Bader, it's like he totally he, he was either scared or he totally checked out of the fight mentally because whatever game plan he had, I can guarantee you he did not execute it and he got finished quickly. That was that was a loss that I was actually surprised by. I thought same as you, the Bader had turned a corner and kind of gotten himself under control and been able to perform in big spots. And once again, he has not been able to. Um, I'm probably going to say I favor Latifi. I mean, he's on the upswing. He's actually technically, and as far as conditioning and pace and cage IQ, he's actually gotten better. Ryan Bader has gotten better at elements of his game, but I can't say he's really... He's really improved when he's been put in tough spots. Anytime he's been in tough spots, he seems to regress to the same guy he's always been, a guy who, who loads up on power punches, a guy who shoots from too far out, a guy who gets either stuck in one mode of wrestle, 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 or strike, 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 a guy who, who stops being a mixed martial artist and all of a sudden starts being a one-dimensional fighter, and his wrestling isn't good enough for him to be one-dimensional. And it's not world-class. He can be stuffed, he can be taken down, he can be sprawled out, he can be countered, and he's striking. While it's gotten better, isn't world-class either. It's nothing he can hang his hat on and say, you know what, we're just gonna stay on the feet and I'm gonna put hands on this guy. He, he's not that guy, not power-wise, not diversity-wise, not defensively, not offensively. So um, it, it, I really haven't seen as much improvement in him technically. And it seems like when the lights are on and he's facing a person who can who can and will hurt him and has kind of like an intention to and is going to put some pressure on him, it seems like he folds. And while Latifi isn't elite, he, seem, he seems to be working his way up there. His striking seems a little bit cleaner. His entries, his um, awareness to defense, his pace he puts on, his ability to maintain that pace, and his ability to kind of mix it up and kind of use all the skills and all the tools to... To get wins it's, it's seemingly increased he's seen that he's seen improved on every single level that's something i can't say for bader bader's he's like got to the point and he's plateaued again and so I, i'm thinking that he's gonna once again lose another fight and i, I think Latifi's gonna officially make himself known as a top 10 guy if not a top seven guy because beating bader still means something it doesn't mean that you're the you're the elite but once again it's like with other guys it means you're clearly above the rest of the division and to be quite honest as thin as light heavyweight is we need another name another guy who's putting wins together who's showing improvement who's taking those steps to, to break into that top 10 top five area we need that it's been the same guys for the last two three four years almost so we need to see something different for the division to have any chance of developing forward we need some something of a shake-up and i think latifi's within his ability to do so Bader gets tired Bader gets frustrated. Bader has a tendency of fighting stupid against anybody who doesn't let him dictate when and where the fight's going to happen. Anytime you look at the fights where he hasn't been able to control the pace and dictate where it's going to go and how it's going to go, he's lost. And he's lost badly. Just check the fights. Versus Jones he couldn't dictate, loss; Versus Johnson he couldn't dictate, loss. Those are just two. Versus Ortiz, he wasn't clearly able to dominate. He panicked and took a bad shot and got submitted. So, I mean, he's he shown that ability to crack under pressure again. This is going to be a very big spot for him. You know, he loses now, and he's essentially out of it as far as a contender, period, as far as 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 far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, you know, Vader is definitely somebody I've always kind of cheered for. But you're right, he's never been able to turn that corner when it mattered most, when most people were, were watching. He had those flashes, you know, when he fought Rampage that he looked kind of, he looked like he was going to make that turn, but then, you know, he runs into somebody who isn't a an compend- uh, contender, and he just kind of he, – he just – I don't say he finds a way to lose, but even the Gloucester Sheriff fight, you know, i think back to that when he was in some good positions and showing some good minutes there, moments there, and then he gets clipped and, and, and gets put away. So um, he – like I don't even call him a career second-place guy. He's not even that high up the ladder, but I am kind of hoping that he can find a way to pull out a win on Saturday and kind of get some more buzz going back in his
1: situation. It, it would be nice. The whole thing, I mean, Bader's a nice guy. He seems like a good father he, from what his wife says. He's a great husband. He's a hard worker. He, he doesn't rest on his laurels as far as just leaning on his athletic abilities. He's taking time to learn his craft and improve it. But the thing about Bader is when I was watching him, I kind of got fooled. And, and And sometimes this happens when, when you like a guy or or you've been you picked right on a guy enough times, you start ignoring, you stop watching what he's doing, or you stop watching who he's doing it against. And you're like, oh, look at his stand up. He showed such crisp stand-up against Rashad Evans. Well Rashad's actually regressed in his stand up. And Rashad the Rashad we saw versus him was back to that guy who weighs too long, couldn't couldn't manage distance, couldn't gauge distance, was loading up, was backing up in straight lines, wasn't giving angles wasn't putting his punches together like he did at his peak. And so you're seeing that and you're saying, oh, Ryan Bader's gotten better at stand up. Oh, look at Ryan Bader, he mixed it up against OSP. OSP is a one dimensional athlete. He's an athlete with decent striking skills. If you take away his athleticism, he's not even a decent striker. It's his size and his length that makes him effective. His athletic ability, his explosiveness. So when you see these fights and you you see him showing this IQ and this discipline and this cardio, The question is, who is he showing it against? Is he showing it against a guy in one moment, a guy who outclasses him in two of the three areas? No, OSP doesn't outclass him in two of the three areas. and this version of Rashad Evans, didn't outclass him in two of the three areas. A lot of the guys he beat, weren't as good of athleticism, didn't have the wrestling he has, didn't have his, his cardio and didn't have his experience. But the minute he faced guys who were threats in multiple areas, he folded up. Anthony Johnson's a threat on a threat. He can be a threat on the ground because if he gets on top of you, he can control you and work you over, or he can just KO you on the feet. John Jones can dominate you on the ground, finish you. He can out wrestle you, and he can out strike you. He totally embarrassed Ryan Bader, and that's what happens against the guys who he needs to show that skill and that poise against. He never shows it. He always cracks when a guy can threaten him in multiple areas. When he, he when he's not the boss, when he doesn't have the advantages, I'm not yet to see him win one fight where he does not have clear advantages and experience athletic ability in wrestling or striking And even though his striking is not that great when he does not have those advantages he's just another guy but when he has those advantages he looks like he's really improved and he's possibly elite but if you the only time you're elite is against non-elite guys you're not really elite it's like a basketball game if you only score 40 against the worst teams in the league you're not really a scorer I want to see what you do against the best team. If you only average 15 against the best teams, that's what you are. You're more of a 15 to 17 point a game guy than a 40 point a game guy. You're judged by what you do in the biggest spots against the best competition. That's what determines who you are as a player. Same thing with the fighter. Just because it's fighting and it's a tough sport doesn't make it any less true. And they say they're a real sport, which means you're going to get real criticism from people. And if you don't want to take real criticism, then you can't say you're a real sport. we got to look at the numbers, too. The fighting's more than that, but who you beat and how you beat them still matters. Same thing as it does in football, basketball, and any other sport.
0: Good, good, good points. There, good points. Um, Are there any other fights on this card that kind of catches your um attention? I noticed, you know, no, this isn't a big event. It's overseas. Is there anything else that kind of stands out from um Saturday's event?
1: Uh Not. I mean, not really. I mean, there's, there's no real. It's not that they're not. It's not that they're not good fights. It's just they're not a lot of fights that'll that are gonna really shake up the division. It's a lot of guys who are, you know, middling contenders or middling fighters in the division who are trying to get some kind of foothold where they can start making some noise, put two or three wins together, and possibly be fringe contenders. So I mean, there's always interesting fights from the point of if the fight it's interesting and it enables you to get a better sense of combat, pacing of fights and techniques. But as far as fights that matter fights that are really gonna expose you to some kind of truth about MMA or about the division there's not many of them there's not many at all
0: good response man. so let's look at some of the news that kind of broke out from in this past weekend I want to or this past week excuse me probably the biggest story is uh, Joe Silva leaving UFC it was announced or it was kind of revealed today through some sources that Silva has decided that it's time for him to walk away from the sport of mixed martial arts. If you, if you, I don't know how you couldn't know, but um, Joe Silva is, is the main matchmaker for the um, UFC. He handles all of the weight classes from lightweight and above. Sean Shelby handles all of the weight classes from featherweight and below. Uh, Silva started 20 years ago with the company. He just kind of got there. He got there on a whim. He reached out through a random ad in Black Belt and Black Belt Magazine and came on as a consultant at first. So after 20 years, seeing him still be a part of the promotion and finally walking away uh, after the UFC sale, what do you think that
1: impact is going to be to the company as a whole? It's actually going to be a huge impact, not because he's such a good matchmaker, which he is. The thing that's going to be a huge impact is his relationship with the fighters. Since he's been there so long, a lot of guys respect his knowledge. They respect his his time involved. They expect the fact that he set up some of the greatest fights in UFC history. He always had that card to pull. And whoever they bring in, even if he's a really good guy, he doesn't have five, six, seven, eight, nine years of work bringing guys into the UFC. Because there's lots of guys who are in the UFC because Joe Soto made that happen. I mean, Joe Silva made that happen. He, he knew their teammates he knew their coaches he knew them on a first name basis he could pick up the phone and call somebody and say hey this is joe silva i really need somebody for this fight i'm coming to you first will you do it and a lot of people they didn't just do it for the fact for the ufc or dana i believe me on that they did it because joe silva has a history of putting people in position to make good money and putting people in position to really turn their careers around if they win certain fights and he just got that history and that legacy behind him so whoever they bring in, there's nobody else who's got more experience in them. There's nobody who's got a better relationship with almost every single fighter from lightweight on up over the past, what, 20-something years in MMA. So what guy are they going to bring in? There might be guys who have as much talent, and eye for talent, and eye for matches. But who's a guy who's, who's that comfortable and that familiar with all the fighters, whether they be super difficult, super easy to deal with, super smart, not so smart? Want to fight all the time or don't want to fight all the time? Joe Silva is the guy who walked people into fights, who talks people into fights, who made those phone calls and had those tough discussions. It wasn't Dana White. Dana, you know, might interject, but Joe Silva is the guy who set those fights up. So who's the guy they're gonna? Who's the guy they're gonna bring in who has that kind of level experience, that sort of tenure, and has that sort of understanding of dealing with fighters, fighters management, and fighters coaches? Who's who's gonna be the guy who's gonna replace that? getting somebody to be a good matchmaker isn't hard. It's the relationships, the strength of the relationships, and guys who trusted him enough to take chances and take fights they might have not have taken otherwise if it would have been somebody else asking.
0: It's interesting that you put it that way. Like, who's the guy to do it? Because I was listening to a show today, and they were talking about potential individuals, and they mentioned um, Julie Kedzie. Uh, You know, she's done a lot of building for Invicta. And I don't know. I think that's an interesting name to throw – into the hat because she definitely has respect of being a former fighter, so she understands that side of the story. But she also understands the business side of building a promotion. So I would like to see the UFC take that take that step and hire her to an an important position, or at least partner partner her with um, Sean Shelby. Uh, you know, because he's still going to be around there. So I think that, that that's one name that really came up to me and kind of caught me off guard. Like as someone that I thought about who could do the
1: job um, and I think, I hope that she's someone that they're considering for the role. I would agree with that. I mean, given given her experience as a person who's set up fights and worked on the other, both sides of MMA, I could see that and I, I think she'd be very good. But once again, I mean, you know, I mean, people, people are going to make it seem like Joe Silva's job is so easy. And like I said before, making the fights, when you have the best fighters in the world under contract, that's not always the hardest part of the job. You know, it's it's being able to deal with all sorts of personalities and all sorts of temperaments and all sorts of walks of life, regardless of how they may react or how they may talk or what they think of you or what they think of your teammate. You know, that's that's the hard part. And I'm not saying Ketsy can do it. In fact, she she's that's a good idea. I hadn't even thought about it, and, and she's a really good pick to do it. I'm just saying people might be underestimating how difficult You know, it's the same thing. People like, oh, Dana White's job is easy. It's it's easy from the outside looking in. And it's the same way with Joe Silva's job. It seems a lot easier than it is because you're not in on those negotiations and those last second calls and trying to get to talk about. I'll fight anybody anytime they say that to us. But Joe Silva's the guy who's got to massage their egos, talk to them, talk money, talk about what this could do for them. He's the one who's got to have those talks. To get the fights that we want to see happening. It's not just a matter of, oh, you're a UFC fighter, go in there fight. They might tell you that's how it goes. I know people who are fighters. That's not how it goes. And it's, it's just a lot more to it than a lot of people are making it out to be. He's a really important guy in the history of MMA and the UFC. You don't have a good matchmaker. You have prospects getting ruined. You have stars either on the rise or declining who get ruined. You don't have the pay per view buys. You don't have, you don't develop the stars and develop their legitimacy without a guy who knows how to matchmake and knows how to handle talent that that really matters and people are going to underestimate how valuable a skill and how valuable a tool he was to the UFC and to MMA as a whole
0: yeah that's very true I think that people devalue the difficulty that it took to do his job and they probably won't look at it um the same way uh, I know that people will kind of undercut all of the hard work that he definitely did to get to where um get to where he
1: was uh when, think about when it was hard it's a it's a lot easier to do the job now because there's millions of dollars there's tv shows there's all this other stuff joe silva's been doing it even when it was really hard to do the show when there was really no money and you had to twist arms and, and make deals and and have these ridiculous conversations to get guys to do what you needed them to do have the show go on he did it when it was really difficult he's proven himself in the toughest leanest times it's a little bit easier now so i don't care if somebody else comes in and knocks it out of the park it's easier to do when it's the four billion dollar company that's on all the different channels it's a lot harder to do it where joe silva did from the beginning scratch and then he did it at the lowest level at the medium level and at the highest level he is what if you want to consider it a sport He's won championships at every single level, high school, college, and pro. Everybody else, now they're on the dream team. They're on the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they're on the Golden State Warriors, and they made it to the finals. Well, that's easy now. Y'all have LeBron. You have Steph. Let me see you take the Knicks to the finals. Let me see you take the Milwaukee Bucks to the finals. That's the only way I could make you equivalent to what he's accomplished on his own. Very true,
0: then. Very true. Um, I'm thinking this is probably, this is a big story to watch going forward, so it'll be interesting to see um, what happens over the next few, uh, over the next few months. This has been a big year of change for the UFC, so I wonder what's going to be coming next. Uh, Let's talk about uh, George St. Pierre, you know, he is, he's been talking about returning to the sport of MMA for quite some time now. Uh, The rumor is growing that he's going to be back for UFC 206 which is going to be in Vancouver, I believe. Vancouver or Toronto, one of the two. But I asked, the first question I asked about this is, do you think that he is the same star that he was when he originally left back in 2013? Is this guy still the big name that um, that can draw the way he did uh, after he left from um, that close fight with Johnny Hendricks?
1: I don't know if he's... the name name star in the UFC anymore. Because before, GSP was a draw. So I don't know that he's the main draw anymore. I think McGregor's kind of taking that spot. But GSP, even now, top three? He can't be worse than number two or number three. I mean, Rousey's not fighting. So he he can't be worse than number two. Maybe number three is the worst as far as a draw. You know, I mean, the fact that he's been hinting at it for months if not years since he left and people still care enough to click on the story to find out if he's coming back or when he's coming back Th- that alone proves that it matters because there's lots of other fighters who if they unretired right now when shane carwin talked about coming back i don't remember anybody really caring about that i don't remember any discussions dana white didn't give that any credence he didn't talk about it you know ken shamrock once never gave up when he was coming back nobody really cared I mean, when Kimbo came back, it was more of a more of a knowledge, more more important to the MMA world than 90% of the other fighters who have no name and have no crossover appeal. So he has crossover appeal. He still has a name. He wasn't as good as he was in his prime. The fact of the matter is he still didn't lose his title. He left with the title intact, and he left beating a guy who still, at the worst, considered top 10. At the best, probably top seven, top five. That guy took his best shots and he beat him, you know, on the first try. Robbie Lawler didn't do that on the first try. And the majority of the other welterweights got blown out versus this guy. Some cachet to his name because he didn't go out on a loss and because he's still been he's still been pretty prevalent. They still talk about him. You got the world champion Tyrone Woodley talking about him. You had Robbie Lawler mentioning him. Conor McGregor used to mention possibly fighting GSP as well. So, I mean, you have all the guys who are either champions or big names in the sport. Even Ronda Rousey mentioned GSP more than once. So you have all the top people, including Dana White, still talking about him, whether it's casually, in a business sense, or in a sense of, we're not pleased with what he's saying about our sport. Either way, he's still in the topic of discussion. And you can't say that for 95% of the fighters, even the guys who are champions. GSP gets talked about more than Demetrius Johnson. So no, he's no worse than number two or number three draw in the UFC right now. And that's without having fought in years.
0: Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that, especially with the way the company is kind of fluctuating right now. I think he is, um, he's someone that I would look forward to seeing him come back, and especially if you book him in the right match, you know, because there's a lot of guys out there. I would love the, the idea of him fighting Conor McGregor. I doubt it would ever happen, but that would be a massive um, – a massive fight for everybody involved. Damien Maya's out there. Obviously Tyron Woodley's out there. So there's names for him to compete against. Who would you want to see
1: GSP face first when he does step back into the Alcadon? Um, I'm kinda i am I'm kinda I'm kinda conflicted on this. I'm not sure if I want to see him face like just a top guy right off the bat. I mean it has to be a guy with some kind of talent level and skill because nobody's gonna buy him going in against Against somebody who's like in the top fifteen or top twelve, I mean that just that wouldn't fly, I don't think. But the same instance, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure if I wanted to see him just jump in with the very best, being that he hasn't fought in what two, what three or four years now, if I recall correctly, or is it just two or three? It's something like that. Yeah, so I I don't I I don't know I don't know that I want to see him come in right off a title and in, into a title fight, but knowing him and knowing the UFC, they're not gonna. Easy, and if you're going to have GSP come in, you might as well have him face one of your biggest names, or have him face a champion, so you can get the most bang for your buck. Nick, Nick Nick Diaz again, but that wasn't really a particularly competitive fight, so I don't I don't know why they would try that go that route again. I mean, Woodley wants him. I mean that that would help Woodley Woodley's bottom line. That would help any pay per view that Woodley was fighting on. So I mean, I Woodley, I Damian Maya. Even Conor McGregor, there's really not too many people I wouldn't mind seeing him against, as long as they're either a really big name or in probably in the top five. I mean, there's there's not too many guys I wouldn't mind seeing him against. I'd even I'd even watch him against Donald Cerrone if they wanted to do that. That'd be an interesting fight. That'd be a high-profile, big-name fight that didn't include a title. It would be a guy who's in his weight class. I would pay to see that. Win or lose, that that's an interesting fight. If Cerrone beats GSP, he becomes. The guy who gets that next title fight if GSP beats Cerrone, how can you say he doesn't deserve a title fight after that?
0: Yeah, you're right. You know, how how can you say you know he deserve a title fight? Something along those lines. Um, does this return really interest you though. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm I've always kind of said that I wish that he would stay away from the sport just because of the way he went out. He went out on top. He had the belt over his shoulder. He was coming off of a win, um, while it may have been controversial, it was controversial in the GSP kind of way. So why come back? You know, he has opportunities outside the outside the fight game. He's about to be in that movie, um, Kickboxer the remake. So why is he pressed to come back? I don't know. I, I just kind of wish that guys would stay away when they say that they're done, just because we don't have to, just so we don't have to see them taking the excessive damage or lose a fight, uh, lose a fight that damages their legacy.
1: Well, I, first of all, I would think GSP is still counting checks from uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. He had a he, he had a decent part in that movie, so he should still be cashing residual checks that are more than his UFC checks, in my opinion. First off, you know, I mean, of course he he did lose by knockout to Captain America, so a hole in his game might have been exposed. He he did get taken down and ground and pounded, so he he might be a little bit suspect now that we've seen that that hole in his game. But uh. I was, it'd be interesting to see him fight because he's a name guy. He's a guy who went out on top. It's an interesting story. What does he have left? Can he compete with the best? I mean, it leads into a multitude of different stories and storylines with him coming back. Oh, he's too far gone. His chin was already suspect, and now it's going to be exposed now that he's lost a step. You know, it's the same thing as when Floyd Mayweather took some time off or, you know, as Bernard Hopkins got older, and people were like, how long can he keep riding this train of – winning big fights and, and winning titles in different divisions. Interesting storylines, you know, when you see the and against the young bucks to see what he can do. And if he can, he can still compete at that level, or maybe he can't compete in the same way. Like what what way can GSP compete? Is his game going to change up now? Is he going to be more striking oriented? Is his game going to, is he going to be more of a finisher because he understands his, stamina and his explosiveness isn't there, where he can constantly, repeatedly get those takedowns and control people for five rounds, three rounds straight, is he, is he going to have to make some adjustments to how he fights and how he approaches fights? You know, that that's very interesting on a technical and strategical level of MMA. That's... Funny. so Just on those areas alone, it's a huge source of interest to see him come back. And let's say he wins. Let's say he beat the Donald Cerrone. Let's say he beat the Tyrone Woodley, let's say he beats a Robbie Lawler or or, or somebody of somebody that ilk, you know, what kind of incredible story is that for a guy to take two years off, not fight at all, be on the, the decline of his athletic abilities, especially given how much he's fought and how long he's fought, and to come back in there and to walk through either a champion or a top 10 guy, you know, what kind of storylines does that create? That's huge, That that's huge, it's a risk I think he loves fighting, and it's a risk for him to come back. His legacy, because everybody's clearly established that GSP isn't the same guy athletically. He's not the same guy as far as recuperation. He's not the same guy as youth. So there's gonna, it's like the same thing with Michael Jordan. There's Jordan with the Bulls, and there's Jordan with the Wizards. People don't really factor in Jordan with the Wizards when talking about Jordan. So I, I don't think it really impacts his legacy outside of it's a guy you saw go out on top. In a way that you would like the guy to go out, and he's going to come back and, and risk getting knocked out or risk not, not looking as dominant. But it's his career, and if he really feels that he wants to take that challenge on, who am I to tell him not to? Exactly, I can.
0: I, can, I can get with you on that. You know, or maybe we shouldn't be telling these guys when and where they can come back. You know, I can definitely walk with you on that. Um, let's let's talk about talking about guys coming into the world of MMA. We have UFC 203 in a couple weeks, I think two weeks out from this Saturday. And while the heavyweight title may be on the line, everyone's going to be focusing on one of the main card fights that features a man named Phil CM Punk Brooks. Um, as the promotions have been building for this fight, they just had the media call earlier today. Not sure if you had a chance to listen to that. But um, are you interested in, in, in this fight here? Have you been watching uh, the, the the specials about um, CM Punk? And do they kind of get you interested in seeing
1: what this guy can do in the cage? It's interesting. I've said this before. It's interesting to me because he's the closest thing to what a regular person who started training and got a shot in the UFC would look like. So as a person who trains, and I I don't train religiously. I don't train every day, every week, and all stuff like other people. I'm, i I train when I can, spar, fight, you know, stuff like that interesting from that perspective where there's a fighter I can almost I can kind of relate to to a degree because you know he's not in his prime he's not some world-class former you know football player soccer player baseball player basketball player he's not a world-class fighter boxer karate guy kung fu guy or Thai boxer he's like a regular dude yeah he did pro wrestling I'm not saying he does not have some athleticism but more or less he's a regular dude who's never done martial arts, who's taking this upon himself to face a younger, more experienced, and for all intents and purposes, more skilled guy. So it's, it's, it's interesting. For the first time, people who are more regular or maybe former athletes or people who are just fairly athletic have somebody who they can really relate to because it's like one of us going in there, you know? It's like if I decided to train for two years and I'm like, hey, I'm going to give pro fighting a, a chance. It's essentially the same thing. So from that perspective, it interests me greatly because I want to know why a guy who's got millions of dollars, why a guy who's got people's respect, because as I've said before, pro wrestling is super, super tough. I know pro wrestlers. I used to go to college with The Undertaker's niece. Pro wrestling is not a joke. You have to be a tough, very mentally disciplined, very mentally resilient person to do that. sports entertainment whatever you call it anybody who says it's just fake and it's easy it's hard and there's not many mma fighters who would last one year one year with even a low work rate in high level professional wrestling let's just get that straight even mid-level professional wrestling they'd run those guys out of the ring that's a fact so it's interesting to me that the guy who's achieved the height that he has is taking on a challenge like fighting because it's very humbling losing a basketball game is humiliating losing a football game is humiliating losing in the olympics is you know you waited four years it's crushing to your soul but as somebody who trains and i know you train and i know you got experience with combat sports getting knocked out or getting submitted or losing a fight you know, there's a reason why people just talk real loud and push people between them when a fight's about to break out because it's very shaking to who you are as a person to your core, especially for men, because every guy thinks they can handle themselves, they can protect their family, they can fight if somebody attacked them. And, and we both know that, that as far as actual technique and skill and cardio, 90% of people can't fight at all. They just can't. So for you to actually go into something where you're going to face someone else one-on-one and you're either going to beat them or they're going to beat you, that takes guts sparring takes guts going on an open mat where someone's gonna put you in a position where they could kill you if they want to or break your arm takes guts and it's very interesting to me that a guy who doesn't have to take that risk who doesn't have family who needs to eat who doesn't who never who doesn't have this you know urge to be the best is going to take that on just because he wants to see what it's like just because he has the opportunity that's very intriguing to me so from that level i'm very intrigued
0: You know, that's a pretty interesting way to put it because I was listening to someone talk about it today and they uh, mentioned how they got to respect the fact that uh, CM Punk has gone through the process of getting into the octagon and he's taking that walk down to the cage, which is big, um, which is definitely big. So yeah, I, I can agree with you that, you know, this is something, this is a compelling it's a compelling storyline because he is, you know, committing to do something he doesn't have to. He's already a millionaire, you know. He's all he, he could have continued pro wrestling and he could have worked on different shows after leaving WWE. He could have been just as rich, making probably bigger paydays than he'll make uh, on Saturday, so or or next Saturday. So I can definitely agree with you on that. I just think that I'm concerned because the way this promotion is kind of presenting it, you know, is talking about how he's already had his injuries and multiple issues he's had. Like, that's one side of the storyline, you know, and and it's a great opportunity for Mickey Gall, for sure. But one thing I, I would love to ask CM Punk is, if the situation was switched and Mickey Gall was a UFC fighter who decided one day he could be a main event pro wrestler, what would, what would, what would Punk's mentality be about that? Because I know that that is something that would be considered grossly disrespectful in the pro wrestling world. So how would he respond to that? You know, what what was his own reaction to that be? Because I doubt it would be anything positive.
1: But yeah, know, he's doing the same thing, uh, right now. The, the weird thing about that is, is I've had this conversation many a times with people, like when Kimbo first came out, and people were like, Kimbo doesn't deserve a main a main, attra- main event spot. He doesn't deserve all this money. He doesn't deserve all these interviews and stuff he's getting because he didn't work his way up. The same fighters who say that will gladly take a part in a movie when they haven't been taking acting classes for years. They haven't been auditioning for a bunch of parts. Like, why is it okay for Ronda Rousey to get a to get a role or Gina Carano to get a role in huge franchises? And I'm talking about like you know a good role where she 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 gets to be in the movie. Because everybody on the set, I mean, almost everybody, even the extras and the stunt women are more accomplished in filmmaking than Ronda Rousey. And she's getting more screen time than them. Gina Carano, everybody, she had her own movie. It wasn't very good. It wasn't a big budget movie, per se. But she got her own movie based off of fights. Like, it wasn't based off of acting. Paige Van Zandt got to be on Dancing with the Stars because she fights a lot. And she's not even the biggest star in female MMA. You know, well, so a lot have, of
0: people... She did have a big-time dancing background, though, so I'll, I'll give her that. She definitely had
1: a... Um, that, that is true. That, that. It's just that a lot of people, nobody nobody ever minds when they get an exception, when they get to move to the front of the line. You know, Ronda Rousey gets to produce movies. Well, it's because I'm interesting and my ideas are good. No, it's not. It's because you're a fighter and you're popular. That's why you're getting these opportunities. So as much as wrestlers may hate it, I remember Triple H having a part in Blade 4... What kind of acting did he ever do where he deserved to get a a movie role in a successful film film franchise or was it Blade 3? You know, what did he ever do? Why did John Cena have whole movies written around him? Why is he in a movie with Amy Schumer and a huge hit movie? Based off of what? What has he done as far as a pure actor that says that he should have those roles? Nothing. So you can't complain. You can't take it on one side, take the free ride and say, well, I earned it because I'm brave and I'm taking on a new venture and then insult somebody else Who's getting to cut the line in your in your sport, in your sport in the sport you grow up, in the sport you own. If you're gonna do that, then just be consistent. Be consistent when they interview you say, Hey, I don't really deserve this. I got this because I'm a fighter. There's other people who are better suited for it. There's the same thing with rappers getting roles. Albums. You didn't put the work in. You're getting it because there's something else. It almost happens to everybody in every phase of life. And I'm cool with it because nobody's ever ever upset. And they're the ones benefiting. See, CM Punk isn't mad that he's benefiting. I don't remember The Rock complaining about getting paid millions of dollars to do the Scorpion King, and he hadn't proven anything as an actor. He got roles based off of his ability to talk on the mic as a wrestler. You know, he's a great actor. He showed, he proved he proved that he was worth it, but what did he do to get those roles? What did Stephen Amell do to get, get in wrestling? He played a superhero on TV. Everybody gets passes, and if you're gonna get mad at them for getting passes, then you got to get mad at yourself, and you got to absorb all the criticism. You can't get offended by it. Because CM Punk has gotten offended by guys who say he's fake and he's not very good. His ego gets hurt. His ego gets bruised, but he's does understand that some of these guys fought for years to get in the UFC, and he's getting a pass. But if he would have been in wrestling and somebody just walked in and main evented WrestleMania, he would have been mad too. He would have been mad, and he would have thought they don't deserve it. So I think it would have been the same thing because almost every single situation – everybody's bitter about what somebody else is getting because they're not getting it. It happens routinely and I call it out every time I see it. And I'm, I'm actually kind of disgusted by it because the same people who always complain about somebody doesn't deserve something when they get something they don't deserve, dead silent. Oh, well, you know, I've done this, this and this. What does that have to do with make, making movies? What does that have to do with a rap album? What does that have to do with getting to host a show or be a sports announcer? You've never done that before. There's people who go to college to be sports announcers. You're getting the role because you have to fight? I guess. I mean, I suppose. You know, that's just my perspective on it.
0: Yeah, I can definitely rock with you on that. I don't have any um no points no points to arguing it's there because you are definitely uh hitting hitting them all hard there. So um let's talk about some of the questions that we actually I got another um another comment about and Punk. So what happens if he wins or loses? You know, most people are most people are expecting him to lose this fight. Uh I am as well. But what what are what are your thoughts if he wins or loses? What are what are both sides of that?
1: I personally would like to see him at least put on a good fight. I mean if he loses, it's what's expected. He lost, he's facing a real fighter in his very first fight. He's got I mean he has a bunch of excuses. He's on an athletic decline. He's had tons of injuries. He's never fought before. He's never really trained before. He has a ton of built-in excuses, and people are just going to give him credit for actually stepping in the ring with a real, live, actual fighter. If he wins, if he wins, it's great for him. I'll tell you who it's not great for, Mickey Gall. I don't care how he wins and how much they say, well, he had been training at a good camp, and he just took advantage of a, of an, of a mistake like you're supposed to. If he loses, if Mickey Gall loses this fight, he might have to retire from MMA because you got beaten by a guy with no fights, who's been training on and off for about a couple years, who's had tons of injuries, and 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 it really hadn't done anything stand out athletically, which would say that he should be in the UFC, much less the RFA or WSOF or Bellator or any other organization. And this dude came in, knocks you out. It's it's bad because, but that's a lucky punch that could happen if he submits them, that's just that's just a matter of better IQ, better awareness and better skill. That means a guy who's been training for less than 2 years outskilled you. Outskilled you. And that that's unforgivable. If he loses to CM Punk, he might have to re- he might ha- have to rethink his whole career options because he will never get past that. I don't care if he wins a bunch of titles, I don't care if he wins 17 fights in a row. He will always be the dude who lost to a first-time fighter former pro wrestler it, it will be all over trending on twitter for the next two months it'll be all over espn and he's going to be interviewed about how how this guy beat him and if he loses i guarantee you he won't lo- lo- he won't be a good sport about it either <laughs> so all i hope for him is that he does not lose because a lose a loss at this level with this kind of media circus and against this level of opponent is beyond embarrassing. I don't care about the whole everybody has two arms, two legs, everybody has a shot. No, this is supposed to be a slam dunk for you. And if you lose this fight, it's like missing a wide open dunk with no one behind you. It's embarrassing. You know, it's like it's like kicking off the ball with no time left and they just keep lateraling it and go ninety nine yards to score a touchdown. It's snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So (laughs) I, I suggest Mickey Gall not lose. That's all I know for him. He better not lose.
0: I can definitely, I mean, yeah, it, it'll it'll be a bad it'll be a bad circus if he
1: does lose. Um I guarantee you be- I, will, I will down. I can't I can't even give him credit for fighting because you're fighting a first-time guy who for all intents and purposes might not be a better fighter than I am. I can't even give you the credit for fighting the best. You're fighting an O and O fighter who is a pro wrestler and he beat you. You don't get any credit for it. He gets tons of cre- CM Punk gets tons of credit for taking that challenge on, doing something he's never done, something he's never trained for. Mickey Gall isn't going to get one bit of credit. He's not going to get credit for stepping in the ring. He's not going to get any credit for taking the fight. He's going to get all the blame for losing to a guy he has, for all intents and purposes, no right to lose to, and rightfully so. As I said before, he better not lose this fight because he will never hear the end of it. Never. His parents might not even answer his phone calls if he loses this fight. Who'd you get beat by? CM Punk? You mean the wrestler? Well, he must have got a lucky punch. No, he submitted me with a knee bar. What? Dude, you need to retire. You need to give it up. It's not for you. MMA is not for you.
0: Yeah, it's definitely going to go uh, downhill from there. I, I can get with you on that. So we got one question, man. We got one question this week about Anthony Pettis, who looked amazing at 1.5. Um, he had a great fight against Charles Oliveira, getting the win by submission. So maybe probably one of the best grapplers in the game today, other than maybe like a Damian Meyer, or Jacare, you know, Wilson Hayes. But Charles Oliveira is definitely up there. What do you think about Pettis at 145? Is he going to be able to keep this up? Is he going to um, remain viable down there and put on a run? Or is it just a matter of time before we see him kind of struggle with the weight and struggle with this weight class as a whole?
1: Well, the the best thing about being at 45 is Pettis, if you've seen enough Pettis' fights, you can see he's kind of like a guy. He said it in an interview once. I find submissions. I find these guys' chins. I find the right hit shots. And at 155 against the better guys and the tougher guy, it's just harder to find that one shot. He doesn't put punches together. He's not a volume guy. He throws one at a time. You saw it against Oliveira. But at 45, his power carries over a lot better. So those one or two shots he throws, when he hit hit Oliveira with one body shot, changed. You know, the whole tone of the fight changed. He landed those body shots at Eddie Alvarez. It didn't change the tone of the fight. He landed some against RDA. Didn't change the tone of the fight. He landed a lot of fight. even in fights. He's, even in fights he's won, he's landed like that, and it didn't necessarily change the whole tone of the fight. It didn't change it against Clay Guida. It didn't change it in other cases. But in a lower weight class, his his power makes a huge difference, and his strength does too, because Oliveira had him up against the fence, but Oliveira couldn't hold him. And in those scrambles, where it was those 50-50 positions, it wasn't just skill that allowed Pettis to get on top and, and to pull out of those submissions is the fact that he's a bigger stronger guy they allowed him to win those those scrambles that against so, uh, a guy at 55 who's a little bit bigger and stronger he wouldn't have won those scrambles there's lots of instances he lost scrambles at um 55 against certain guys so that weight that size and that power advantage is going to be huge for him what's going to hurt him is he's not he's no longer the fastest guy out there he was pretty quick compared to most most lightweights he could that's how he could land some of those kicks and create those lanes for those single shots and get in and get out, even though his footwork's not the best, his his length and his quickness allowed him to dictate to a certain degree. Guys had to walk through. Guys had to kind of find him and work their way in to get to him, and they had to pay a price to do that. But at 45, he's not the quickest guy anymore. Guys can beat him to certain positions. They can beat him to angles. Oliveira's speed, to a certain degree, and his pressure was giving Pettis some problems. His physical strength wasn't. His power wasn't but his speed and his pressure was, and like I said before, Pettis doesn't, he's not an active striker. His footwork is a little shaky. He still moves back and forward in straight lines and he doesn't really jab at all, much less consistently, to keep guys off him. So he's going to still have guys pressuring him. The only difference is the guys won't be able to hold him up against the fence and muscle him. I think there's a lot of guys he can beat at 45. I don't know that he beats the elite guys. Max Holloway, I don't know. Frank Yeager, I don't know. Jose Aldo, I don't know if Conor McGregor could make 45 and be healthy he doesn't beat Anthony Pettis doesn't beat him but he can at least he should he should at least be able to get himself back on track put some wins together and then work his way up to the to the elite I think he has some holes in his game to address but you don't address those by going after the elite right away you fight guys like Charles Oliveira, you fight Jeremy Stevens and you slowly work work those new techniques and new strategies into your game plan in, in real life fights under duress against guys who can fight and guys who can beat you if you're not on your game. And then it's, after you get it together, you got your timing, you got your game plan, right? You got your skill, your skills set to where you don't have the same, you're not being attacked the same way by everybody. Then you can go after the elite because Anthony Pettis's wrestling is still an issue Charles Oliveira wasn't even gonna mess with him on the feet. He was going straight to the takedowns and Charles Oliveira isn't a great wrestler. He's not, and he got Pettis down more than I liked him to get Pettis down. So I think Pettis, I think this can be a good division for him if he goes through the process and he works his way through the steps and he works way up the ladder and gives himself time to acclimate and really work his skills and really redefine his game. But if he's just going to jump in the deep end of the pool, he's going to have problems. He's going to have the same problems he had at 55 because a lot of the guys at the top of the division are capable of doing to him the same thing that Eddie Alvarez did to him, the same thing Edson in Barbosa. Barbosa did to him. Frank Yeager can do what Eddie Alvarez did to him.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. I'm looking forward to what's next for him. Um, but I, I think he he has, an, he has an interesting wrinkle to this weight class there. So um,
1: that is going to bring our... I do, I do apologize. I wouldn't try to take that win away from him because that was impressive. It, wasn't, it was not an impressive win, but being that we're talking about him moving forward and looking at him objectively, you can't... I can't ignore the holes in some of the, the the holes that haven't been addressed or the fact that they've been addressed a little bit, but he hasn't had enough time to fully address them and fully come up with countermeasures for them. I can't ignore that just because he won the fight. He won the fight, but let's not act like Oliveira wasn't putting hands on him, didn't put two and three punches, four or five punches on him, and ha- didn't take him down repeatedly and have him in some bad spots that he was only able to get out of because he was the bigger, stronger guy. I, I can't pretend like that didn't happen because I saw that happen.
0: Yeah, that was definitely um, an interesting fight there that uh, could have gone either way for a second. You know, I was expecting Pettis to give him more trouble, but it was interesting to see the, the final result there. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go ahead and bring this week's episode to a close. Uh, Shawn, let, let everybody know where they can find you and what you're talking about on a regular basis.
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Black Jordan Breen. Or, of course, you can just put in uh, Schwann, S-C-H-W-A-N, Humes, H-U-M-E-S. I'm always on there talking fights. You'll see me talking to other analysts. Sometimes you'll see me on there talking to coaches. Sometimes, and just for people who follow me, there's times people ask me about certain fighters or certain fights or certain guys what my breakdown is. And because I'm dealing with a coach or I'm dealing with somebody from another team who wants me to give them a write-up or a breakdown, I might not answer right away. Like the night of the fight, I might reply to you. It might be a couple of days or I might wait a week, you know, right before the fight when it's kind of too late to make any adjustments because someone actually mentioned that to me. They're like, you know, you did this for us, but, um, you know, they asked, they came back to me for another guy, but they wouldn't tell me who I, they wouldn't tell me a lot of details on it because they're like, you tend to do these huge extensive breakdowns, go on these rants on Twitter and you really break things down. And a lot of guys watch social media. He goes, there, he goes, I know, for a fact, there's fighters in my gym who follow you. I know for a fact, there's coaches at other gyms who've seen your stuff, and they don't follow you directly, but they follow you through other people, and they pay attention to some of the stuff you're saying. You know, if we mention if we're working with somebody, you kind of kind of you got kind of lay off him until you know, the night before, maybe the day before, then you can start talking about it. But you we know, don't once you go into great detail, Because you're just going to put out what you think and what you think is often what you're telling us to do to make an adjustment to beat someone. So if somebody comes to me, I will talk to you almost any time about anybody. But if for some reason I don't get right back to you, it's not because you're not important. It's just because I'm more than likely talking to somebody who's working for that opponent or potential opponent. And I can't just go out there and put it all out there, you know, right away.
0: Very true, man. Very true. You gotta be gotta be careful sometimes with what you say. So yeah. I really, um appreciate having you on the show. My name is Rafael Garcia, as always. If you can find me at rgarcia underscore sports, catch everything that I'm talking about in the world of um sports in general, man. Covering a lot of stuff from Colin Kaepernick to um UFC event this weekend to start the NFL season and everything else in between. So yeah. thanks again for How do you even sleep, man? How do you even sleep? I don't, man. Who knows? I'll I'll figure it out one of these days.
1: I admire that grind, dude.
0: I'll figure it out one of these days. So um, be sure to catch us this week, and we'll be back next week to talk about the world of MMA and leading into UFC 203. Have a great night, everybody.